Hello and welcome back to the There is a Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast. My name is Tom and as always I'm joined by the Dave Roundtree and Damon Albarn to my Graham Coxon, uh, Ed and Will. How are we guys? Very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good, thank you Tom. Good. Um, apologies for the bit of a lull in podcasts. I know it's been two weeks since we last released an episode, but, you know, A-level life. So uh, we can only apologise for that. Um, and of course, the European Championships started this weekend. And let's just say it's been anything but boring. Um, we're going to talk about the home nations in a bit of detail um, and obviously go over the other games that have happened. But kicking off then with the home nations... And the first game for any of them was Wales won, Switzerland won. Um, lads, I mean, I'm going to put my feelings on record straight away. I thought the Welsh were very lucky to get a point out of this game. What do you think? Yeah, it was it was a weird old game right from the start, you know, in terms of the, the venue being out in Baku in Azerbaijan. It felt... I don't know what it felt like. It was empty, wasn't it, really? Massive 70,000-seat yeah. stadium, and there was only a few thousand in. Uh, I had, It was similar to the European final a few years ago. They were out on the on the streets selling tickets for like a tenner before the game to get people in. It's, it's not what you want to see, really, is it, for a European championship. No, no. Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think the fact that during a pandemic we've got a game in Baku I don't think it makes much sense. I mean, if Azerbaijan had somehow qualified, then mm-hmm. maybe it'd make a little bit of sense. But it should have just been played at, at like the Cardiff City Stadium, shouldn't it? But yeah, that, that, that's your way for um, all over fear that. But more onto the game itself. Um, Ex Barnsley man Keith <laughs> O'More scoring the only. <laughs> yeah. goal. Um, how good was he, Will? It, it was really impressive. I thought. It, it, it was he led the line really well for Wales, and you know it, it, it was one of the strongest players on the pitch. I think Brie Lambolo was uh, really impressive yeah. for Switzerland, um, and probably you know could have maybe got one more uh, at least. But you know, as a whole, I think fair enough to Wales. You know, they've come away with a draw, and I think it was a good result for them because. Watching the game as a whole, I definitely think Switzerland were the better side. But ultimately, you know, it's about points. And the actual goal itself was a, a well-worked goal and a quality header from, from Big Keith. So, yeah. 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 You, you talked uh, about Mbolo. Um There always seems to be in a tournament, like a, a player who sort of makes a name for himself on a, on a, on a big stage. And perhaps we get a, get a move somewhere. I mean, Ebola this year in the league at Munchengladbach hasn't been that good, but he, he was excellent in that game. Um, and I, you know, I think he's seen one of those emerging plays who could really put himself in the shop window. I, I thought for Wales, though, I understand what you're saying, and I thought they were poor um, for large chunks of the game. But I thought once they got the goal in the 74th minute, they could have gone on and done more. They could have gone and pushed the winner, and by taking Dan James off. It's just off a bit too defensively for me. Um, yeah. Now I understand Robert Page's thinking. Um, you know, a point against Switzerland, he's you know they'd have took it at the start of the game, and so they should have. But I thought I thought it'd be a, bit of a waste opportunity. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I saw loads of them. You killed the the man, but not the idea memes floating about with Rob Page with a picture of Bin Laden and Rob Page. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, 
but I, I do think that the the decision to take off Dan James was criminal because Wales would have certainly at least pushed for a winner. I mean, they did gain a little bit more of a grip on the match when they did get the equaliser, but I still never thought they'd win it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, even before as you, you start talking about Mbolo, I mean, th- we've talked a lot about dark horses pre-tournament. I saw a lot of chat about Turkey who, who were disappointing. I've seen a lot of chat about Poland who have lost this evening as we're recording. Could the Swiss be a dark horse? Um, I won't go that far. Um, you know, it's a solid team, but that's all it is. Every single one of those players, you know, are established players, yes, but none of them are, are potential mm. leaders in their position um, on sort of continental stage. Um, you know, will they get out of the group? I think they, they definitely will, whether that be in second or, or through the, obviously the possible third place qualification um, yeah. opportunity. But apart from that, I think they'll be just sort of, you know, knockout fodder, really. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And finally, Will, I think, tend this off. Um, we said, you know, already that, that, that Kiefer Moore was great, but one man who certainly wasn't great was Gareth Bale. Um, can you see his performances picking up as the tournament sort of stretches on? Yeah, I can. Because I think with Bale in this game, clearly it was by nowhere near his best game. I, I think more than anything, he didn't do bad. He just wasn't really involved enough mm. for me to yeah. say how good he is but no I think one game against Switzerland you know you can't judge him off that because he's the sort of player who'll come back next game and have score an absolute worldie you know yeah. it's Gareth Bale at the end of the day so I think you know he's a player who can have a bad game but it, it by no means means you know he'll pick it up during the rest of the tournament I'm sure of it yeah yeah I think I agree with you on that one um, but you know tough fixtures now for Wales coming up I think they've got Italy and then and then Turkey, so it's by no means going to be an easy ride for them. Um, moving on then to the game that I think matters most out of the games that have already occurred, and that's England won Croatia nil pre-match. I think we've got to talk about that just as much as the match. I mean, when the lineup was leaked by David Ornstein, it was it was chaos, wasn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say I was the first one to look at that team, and I was. You know, thinking, what is Southgate doing? He's doing it. He's playing Phillips. He's playing Sterling. What's going on? And yet, Sterling scores a winner. Calvin Phillips the best player on the field. So I think that, as England fans as a whole, you've got to look at that game and think, well, actually, maybe we need to trust Southgate a little bit more mm. in the fact of, you know, a lot of people were scared we were going to go into the game and be playing not to lose. And I don't think we did. I think the scoreline reflects we played like that. But personally, you know, first 15, 20 minutes of the first half, I thought we were great. Yeah. Unlucky not to score. Then it sort of petered out a bit. But then we got the goal. And then there was, with the England, when we were 1-0 up, there's normally a fear of these are going to get a goal. And I don't think I really felt that through, you know, after we scored, I wasn't scared of an equaliser. I just felt we had a solid grip on the game. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know you've got to give Southgate some credit for that, and certainly having Phillips and Rice on the pitch definitely helped that. And to be fair to Phillips, he played quite advanced. You yeah. know, he wasn't sitting that far back. I think Rice was further back, and Phillips was definitely advancing. And then setting up the goal, that was you know a top piece of midfield play. Yeah, yeah, Ed. I mean, what what do you want to say about about them pre-match sort of Twitter sphere rants? Yeah, I mean. 
Um, no one out of the sixty odd million people that live in England or whatever would have would have picked that team. Yeah. Um, and I think at times, quite justly, um, Southgate's been you know criticised for his tactical ability. To you know, this game he got it spot on, and he and he shut some of those doubters up, myself included. Yeah. Um, I think there was always that sort of um, romanticism about a possible front sort of three in behind Kane of Mount Foden and Grealish. The reality we all knew wasn't going to happen. Um, but fair play to Sterling getting the goal. Um, I thought Phillips, like you said, was, you know, I've eaten a massive slice of humble pie here because, you know, genuinely hand on heart, I haven't seen anything of him in a lead shirt that warranted a starting berth in the opening match of the Euros. Um, but he did sort of revert to that pre Bielsa role and he was far more box to box and it worked. And I, but I also think I'll give credit to Declan Rice there for allowing that sort of flexibility from Calvin Phillips. Um, the back four, that was where the, not issues, because I don't want to criticise anyone in this performance, but the possible issues could have arisen. There were a couple of hair-raising moments, I'm thinking sort of the trippier nod back and when Stones and Walker sort of shielded to Pickford. You know, there are a couple of things there. Tyrone Mings, you know, another person who, who's been criticised a lot. You talk about the Austria pre-season, not pre-season, but Austria pre-tournament friendly. Where and Romania. Romania, that one where, where he bodied that uh, striker for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and you thought, you know, can we, can we trust this man? Yeah. Um, on that body in it just it reminded me of a sixth former just shoulder barge in a year eight <laughs> you know it, it was did. like yeah. why are you doing it you know it's like just because he could sort of <laughs> yeah. thing yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know in a tournament with VAR that gets you know, that's a, the Stonewall penalty isn't it mm. so that intelligence from Mings you know which hasn't been there at times was there against Croatia I wasn't convinced by Kyle Walker though um I'm yeah, still I, I was going to say sorry, yes. just to touch on that. I was going to say about Kyle Walker. I think everyone leaning into this tournament was like, we've got Reese James. Obviously, we had Trent before he got injured. But if you want a safe, reliable bet, you go with Kyle Walker. And yeah, out of all the players, he looked the most shaky. I thought, especially yeah. in the first half, misplacing passes, etc. And so you know, the the player who was supposed to be this experienced, cool head at times, I thought was probably the poorer of, of the defenders. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that's something that, I mean, I certainly want to touch upon. Pre-match, everyone was sort of, you know, I was berating the team, um, the selection certainly. But actually, when you look at it, them, them players who were who were certs to start, your Kyle Walker, or at least accepted to, to be good enough, Kyle Walker, Mason Mount, Phil Foden, Harry Kane, were by no means bad apart from Walker. But they didn't really turn up. Um, whereas mm. the players who we had doubts over, Mings, Phillips, Trippier at left back, were really good. I mean, Trippier at left back is something I'd discontinue against Scotland. I think you've got to have Chilwell or Shaw there. Um, but, but he certainly did. He, he certainly did his job well. And in terms of Calvin Phillips, I think he's warranted a starting place for the next two games. Certainly, um, but. I would I would be interested to see how Jude Bellingham would fare in that role because I think if Phillips can do it that well, I think Jude Bellingham could probably do it a little bit better. And that isn't taking anything away from Calvin Phillips, by the way, because that was the most complete midfield performance I've seen in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I thought I thought England were good value for the one nil. Could have had a couple more if Harry Kane hadn't hadn't uh, missed that sitter. Um, I saw quite a funny tweet that said, um, "Pretending you're injured after missing a sitter is cash money." <laughs> um, and I certainly thought, yeah, Kane's certainly done that. Um, but yeah, I thought England were good. And is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of that game, lads? Um, uh, I'll just sort of finish up by saying, you know. We achieved everything we wanted from this game, which was a clean sheet and a win and no injuries. Um, so, you know, that's a positive. I know Stones and Kane had a, a couple of niggles, but mm. they seem to be out training today. So, that, that obviously isn't, isn't too worrying. Um, so, you know, some performances from players we didn't think had those sort of performances in them. And that's only going to aid sort of Southgate's selection headache. A word on Croatia. I thought they were very disappointing. Um yeah. I know they like to pass teams off the park, but they were too stagnant and, you know, they couldn't break us down. You know, could I think they could have done with a bit more pace out wide. Um, Perisic isn't particularly a, a pacey player. He's 32 years old. And Andre Kramaric, you know, again, he's a goal scorer, but they, I don't think they utilised their formation or, or their squad mm. as well as they could have. I was very impressed by Saleta Saar, though. Um, he was really good mm. at the back, as was Shimi Vashalka. Um, but now, you know, they were they were a shadow of the 2018 team, I thought. But out of sort of the big nations um, and the, the favourites of the tournament, you know, I'd say we as a nation had one of the toughest first fixtures and, and we've passed that. So we can only be proud of the boys and happy yeah, with the performance. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you want to say anything, Will, or are we happy to move on to uh, the game that happened today? No, I think Ed's pretty much covered everything. I would just say, you know, moving forward, I think we're in the lucky position of, you know, most of these teams are going to be trying to put the same team out every game, whereas we're in the position where we can go, okay, Sterling, bring Grealish in, uh, you know, we we can switch it around quite easily. Kyle Walker, okay, if he wanted his best, get Reese James in or put Trippier back to his normal position, the right back. So, yeah, I think there's nothing to worry about really and, I think now it's just important to put trust in the team, trust in Southgate and, and see where we end up. Yeah, and I'm certainly looking forward to that England-Scotland game. Um, it's going to be an absolute everyone's had a drink fest. Um, <laughs> one of them. Um, but moving on to the Scotland game today, um, Scotland nil, the Czech Republic 2. Um I, this game was one of my favourites so far, I've got to say, not just because of how funny it was watching <laughs> lose, um, oh, but also because of the fact they probably should have had about three goals. I mean, Ed, what, what do yeah. you think about it? Yeah, um, the scoreline was very, very kind to, to the Czech Republic. Mm. Um, I actually was probably one of the few people who wanted to go on to win. Um, I'm not coming from this sort of, oh, I want all the home nations to do well sort of angle. Because um, that isn't the case. It was more because Hampden Park. You saw with the anthems and mm. you know the pre-match how they up for it. And I thought if it gets rocking, it'll be a sight to behold. Then we can smash them on Friday, mm. and then Croatia can finish them off. You know what I mean? But yeah. that one moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now, uh, I thought there were a few dodgy team selections from, from Steve Clark, um, notably uh, Stephen O'Donnell. Not quite sure how that guy has managed to play at least, well, 79 minutes there. He looked like he'd won a raffle to be there. Um, especially when you've got, 
you know, Patterson, the young lad at Rangers on the bench, who should have started for me, um, because O'Donnell was just a donkey. I saw a stat, something like, I don't, he, but he barely made an accurate pass in the first half. And you mm. talked earlier about changing Trippier for the Scotland game. And, you know, if O'Donnell is on that right-hand side again, Shaw or Chilwell will have a field day. Yeah. They really yeah. will. Um, to be fair, though, you know, as ever, I can get some Grant Hanley propaganda in here because he was actually surprised, he was surprisingly uh, good. You know, yeah. he, he was good. I'm not having any slander against him. No, he I've was, got to he's the best defender. I mean, I even pulled up some receipts because I was going to have a bit of Grant Hanley slander, actually. Um, the Scotland back three, Jack Hendry played a 6.4. Uh, Liam Cooper played a 6.6 and Grant Hanley played a 6.6. But I thought Grant Hanley just, he, he didn't have a grip on that game. I thought the 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 two Patrick shit goals were because, I mean, the second one, I'm not going to blame anyone but David Marshall for that. But no, I'm, point, I'm blaming Jack Hendry for that. Um, he, he shouldn't have had a shot from there. He should have played out wide to O'Donnell. Mm. Uh, and that's what cost him. But then, then again, you know, there was a, a glorious irony with the commentary to that goal. Yeah. Because the most understated commentary of the century, um, yeah. and you can't really pin the blame on Marshall or Hendry, because Marshall was only doing what his role is, you know, to sweep up. Um, it was just, you know, a, I think some well, goals there's no one to point the finger at, and you just have to say the lad has yeah. just punted it in from the halfway line. Fair enough. <laughs> like, yeah, it was unbelievable. Steve goal. Clark made that point, didn't he? Um, I thought Scotland looked a far better side with Shadams on the pitch. Um, I thought when James Forrest came on as well, he caused some issues. Um, I still don't see the hype at all around Ryan Christie or Lyndon Dykes. Every time I see him play, I know Dykes has scored multiple times against Wednesday this season, so I can't back up too much. But, you know, they're just not good enough for me. John McGinn, though, excellent again. Yeah. And like you said earlier, Tom, when you, when you introduced this game, Scotland could have won this game easily. Not easily, but. You know, they had the chances. Yeah, that's they, the big yeah. difference. Um, but no, Czech Republic, possible dark horses. Um, I mean, Will, I'm, I'm going to pass that question over to you then about the Czechs. I mean, I'll put my two penneth in first before I do. I thought they were lucky. I thought, I mean, their, their first goal was a great header and their second goal's goal of the tournament already. It's not going to be beaten. But on another day, they're not going to score a goal from the halfway line, are they? And... I thought that they were a bit they were a bit lacklustre in defence and Vasilik saved them on so many occasions. So if they come up against the Croatia or, the, or England, do you think the Czechs get beaten? I think the Czechs are gonna be that team they're just quite solid all around. You mm. know, I'm not saying they were amazing defensively, but they just around the field they look fairly solid, I thought. Sue Fall and Suchek, the West Ham boys, they were both fairly impressive. You know, I thought they were decent. And Schick, while you know he scored those two beauties, and while yes, he won't score one from the halfway line every week, I think he is going to score goals because he. Do, like, I can't say I've ever seen much of him, and he plays in the Bundesliga, right? Yeah, um, and I, I can't say I've seen much of him. I think he got something like nine goals this season. But when we were talking about Mbolo being a possible breakout player, I don't see anything why Patrick Schick couldn't be a bit of a, you know, Euros won't forget Patrick Schick <laughs> 2020. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he was, he was tipped for high stuff, wasn't he? Was it 
is it Sampdoria and then uh, it moved to Juventus or something? Is that failed? If he I failed his medical twice, I think. And then he's oh. got the Leipzig. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's one of them, isn't he? I mean, the Czechs have had them sort of strikers before. I mean, it, it was before I was born, actually, I think. But I remember Milan Baros at Liverpool. Then he, he, he had a breakthrough summer in Euro 2004. So it's strange things have happened. I, I, don't, I don't like the Czech hype. And I certainly don't like that it's giving West Ham fans an excuse to go, oh, we're going we're gonna to win the Euros. Yeah. <laughs> Either England win it with Declan Rice or we win it with the Czechs. No, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like, like, like I said, I think Scotland could have won that game. But it was very funny to imagine a scenario where Nicholas Sturgeon was, uh, was fuming. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, I thought, for me, everything I'd do differently if I was Scotland coming up against us, I, um, I wouldn't start O'Donnell. I, I would, I'd start um, Patterson on the right-hand side. Mm. And I'd bring Che Adams in for, for Ryan Christie and go a bit more direct um, against, against England. Because, you know, when Croatia did have the ball, um, they looked constantly out wide to, to then try and whip balls in. Um, so, you know... You do wonder whether teams are now coming up against us, sort of thinking this is the way we can can beat England is by putting balls in the box to a fairly inexperienced back four in terms of playing together. Yeah, uh, Mings and Stones aren't by any means an established partnership like Maguire and Stones. Yeah. So if I was Steve Clark, first of all I'd smile a bit more. Second of all, I'd uh, I'd make those changes. Yeah, I read today that Tyro Mings has, has won the second most aerial duels out of any player in the league, in the Premier League, guys. I didn't know that. I, I honestly thought Tyro Mings was a bit of a donkey in the air, but turns out that's probably why Southgate's playing him, because I know John Stones is the complete modern-day centre-back, but his only deficiency is his heading. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I think England-Scotland, either way, it's... I, I don't think it's going to be 5 nil England, but then again, I don't really see Scotland getting anything out of it. Um, it it's going to be a really interesting game. It's um, one of them where England can't afford to... You know, Scotland and England in preparation have to do completely different things. England yeah. have to treat it as any other game and just muller them because quality-wise, we're so much better. And Scotland have to treat it as this is the game we've dreamed of all our lives, Scotland in a major tournament against England, mm. and they have to make it some kind of dogfight battle because that's the only way they'll get anything from the game. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm inclined it, to agree. Yeah. yeah. You make a good point. Like, If you take away the tribalism in England and Scotland and put these two teams against each other, 99 times out of 100, the England team will win. But yeah. like all these things... When the sort of the uh, the politics and the the pride comes into it, you know, I don't know about yourselves, but I'm almost thinking, you know, I'm not expecting England to win this at all because it's England, because you know that mentality of, you know, we get too invested in in the sort of sidelined impact of what what a win would do for pride and stuff like that. That then we bottle it on the day. Um, it will be a test. It will for sure be a test. And. It will. If England come out victorious, I think it shows the sort of character within the squad, which is something we need. Because if you're going to do well in a tournament, you've got to be able to overcome Scotland at the end of the day. It's all about yeah. the goal, I think. If England get that first goal, it's um, 
I think it's going to be pretty easy um, for England not to get loads, but but to be calm. Um, yeah. But if Scotland right. get the first goal, half of Wembley's going to be a shitting themselves that they're one 0 up, but also rocking, and they can make that atmosphere like a home game. The Scottish fans. Yeah. So I, I mean, what, what changes would you make to the team, if any? I mean, we touched on the full back for England. Um. I'd, I'd play Luke Shaw at left back and I'd play Kieran Trippier at right back. Um, and I'd probably be tempted to bring in Marcus Rashford for for uh, Phil Foden. And I'd, I'd just go, I'd just attack them. I'd, I'd have Sterling on the right, Rashford on the left. To, and yeah. tell Harry Kane to play as a centre forward, not a false nine. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I think regardless of what Southgate does, we've got so much quality. It, it, no. it shouldn't really be too difficult. Well, it was like against Croatia, you know, not bringing Greenish on was the right decision because we didn't need him at that point in time. Mm. You know, um, I would start Greenish against Scotland um, as Simon that left-hand side with, with Shaw or Chilwell overlapping. Cause I do see a real weakness down Scotland's um, right-hand side because yeah. Jack Hendry and O'Donnell were really all over the place at times today. Um, got, you can't drop Sterling after that. Um, Rashford... I'm just not. I don't think he's up up to it at the minute. Yeah. Um, he's had yeah. constant injury problems all all campaign, and I'd rather keep him for when we desperately need him for that pace and power off the bench than risk him in a full ninety minutes when we have equally as good and effective options. Um, and no, I, I do the same as you actually, and I'd, I'd put Trippier to the right and drop Carl Walker. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I'm slightly different to you too in the fact of I would take out both Walker and Trippier I'd bring in Chilwell and Reese James Yeah, just because I think that right hand side you need someone with that sheer pace to deal with Robertson because yeah. Robertson's probably their main threat Yeah, and he is rapid and so and Reese James is, is showed in those games against Liverpool he's quick and as strong as him and can match him um, yeah. and I think we can go a game without worrying about I know it's this thing about Trippier and set pieces, but didn't he took that one free kick? And I think Mason Mount, it might not be as good, but he can do the job. Um, yeah, my thing, this is my thing with this whole set piece argument. Okay, I understand it if you're, for example, a Wednesday or a Barnsley, but this is international football. Listen, Eddie, Every Eddie, single Eddie, one of these players. That. Wednesday and Barnsley aren't in the same category anymore, mate. I'm more talking <laughs> EFL, sort of lower, lower league stuff, but I'm talking. Every single one of these players, even Pickford, okay, could take set pieces to a decent level. Yeah. This idea of well, only one person can is that good at set pieces is nonsense. Yeah, right? true. Um, you're I telling think me it's only James Ward-Prowse who's like world level above of all of them. You know yeah. what I mean? So if we're yeah. not playing him, then I agree with you. We don't need to have this thing of we need, that. especially when. Like Mason Mount does take them for Chelsea and does them like Mason Mount can do set pieces well, so. And, and yeah. we saw we saw in 2016 just how good Harry Kane is on set pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Roy, Roy Hodgson was a visionary, so was bring it back. Um, and one final thing for me is that you touched upon there that the threat of Robertson, and um, I, I agree with you. You want that pace to counteract that, and Sterling I thought was excellent tracking back against Croatia. Yeah. You know, what another reason he was he was so good in that game, and you know he'll be able to keep up with Robertson, and that's sort of second um, sort of trait to his game. So, yeah, all the more reason to start him on the right again. 
Mm. My final point on it. Well, it hang on, did he? Sp- he played on the left, though, didn't he? Who? Sterling. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. my team shit is wrong then. Yeah. Ignore my last point. <laughs> yeah, I'll just. Think that my final point on it would be Calvin Phillips. My only slight worry, and it is a slight worry, is that Scott McTominay in the Scotland midfield. His greatest strength for me as a midfielder, and certainly when he plays for Man United, is his ability to beat the press. He's so, so cool under pressure, and he often yeah. beats the press. And, I, and the way that he turned into Zinedine Zidane against Leeds at Old Trafford, and I'd hope with Declan Rice behind him that he can still do the job he did against Croatia, but I'd be worried against McTominay. But it might just be one of those slight things that, you know, in the end, you don't have to worry about. Yeah, uh, I think for that, for me, I would hope that if Phillips plays in that slightly more advanced role and like you say, Tommy does beat him, then you've got the leisure of having Declan Rice there to hopefully sweep things up. Yeah. Um, and if failed, then obviously into your centre-backs. But yeah, I think, like I say, it's just one of them, you just can't overthink it. Because while they have got McTominay, Robertson, McGinn, good players, we are so much better than all over the pitch. You know, we were talking about in the first game, we benched Jack Grealish. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we are so much better than them. Like, so we just need to go into it and just play our thing, not try and match them physically and stuff, because they are going to make it physical. Let yeah. them do it, you know? And we need to play this, our this game. This is my point. If you replace that Scotland badge with, I don't know, well, like a Czech, like playing the Czech Republic, we'll all be going to that Czech Republic game expecting a dominant performance and a win. Scotland yeah. are on paper worse than the Czech Republic, so why are we even giving it the, the time of day thinking, hang on, we must suffer a bit defensively here to face onslaught from, from Scotland? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you completely understand why, because that's the way football works, especially with both fan bases. But I think with this, you need a bit of rational, sort of black and white thinking. And, Definitely. Um, yeah. We're going to look like Scotland. Like, like, we're going to look like bricks. When it's such typical time. English arrogance, this. Um, yeah, when Lennon Dyke scores three against us, that's <laughs> when, we, when we, we end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, seeing as though, then, lads, that we've not released a podcast for two weeks, and I know it is cheating a little bit, I think it'd be a shame not to do any Euros predictions. And like I said, we know it's cheating. So if, if you have listened to this point, don't have a go at us saying, oh, they're only saying this because they've watched the games. It's literally because we've not been able to record. Um, so we're going to do a few categories. We're going to do top scorer, winners, dark horses, and player of the tournament, and young player. Um, so kicking it off then, lads. I, I mean, we're going to try and keep it as short as possible. Um, but winners, who have you got down as your winners? Go on, Ed, I'll let you go. Uh, for me, England, genuinely. Let me give a reason for that. I would say France. But, you know, what, with the whole Mbappe Giroud, it looks like a typical self-implosion for the French. And that's going to 2010, a la uh, Nicolas and Elka. Yeah. So it, exactly. it really does feel like they're going to implode. Um, Belgium, obviously good result against a very poor Russia. I wasn't convinced by the Netherlands. Italy, I really don't think you can write them off. They'll be there or thereabouts. Obviously, we're yet to see Portugal play. I don't rate the Germans at all. Um, all this can be... Uh, clipped and used later for reference. <laughs> um, and I feel the tactical now of Southgate in that England game has shown me a whole new side to him. And that togetherness in that squad is something we've not seen, well, I've never seen in my life, togetherness like that from England squad. So I genuinely unbiasedly think we have a really great chance here. Yeah, yeah, Will. 
uh, for me, the Italians win it. And I've always been pro-France going into it, but exactly what Ed just said, it just going into the tournament, they don't seem like a squad who's going to go on to win it. Um, While they have the quality, you've got to be able to put it together. And we've seen so many times the world champions love to ball it in the next few tournaments. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Italy. And uh, I, I had there were a team I had in my mind before the tournament. And when, obviously, on the opening game, like I say, it is cheating a little, but they were so dominant against the Turkey side who a lot of people were rating. So, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with the Italians. Yeah, I, Italy really impressed me, but I, I don't see him getting that far. Um, same with Ed and you, Will. I don't see the French getting even past the quarters. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't rate them. I see us knocking them out in uh, in, the, in the round of 16. Well, I've seen stranger things happen than... Listen, if, if France get beaten by Germany and then the draw against Hungary, then lose to Portugal, mm-hmm. they're out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen strange things happen. I mean, who could have predicted the German implosion at the 2018 World Cup? They lost to South Korea. So, I mean, I I, I don't back France at all. Um, And I'm going to say England. I think think we're just, I wouldn't say we're too good for the rest of Europe, but everyone looks at Portugal and goes, well, they've got Ronaldo, they've got Fernandes, they've got Diaz. Well, if you flip the coin and you actually look at our squad depth, it's a joke. Yeah, it is. You know, if, if Phil Foden was Portuguese or Jack Grealish was Portuguese, we'd be looking at their squad and going, that's one of the best squads the European Championships have ever seen. And I know you can't ever rate a team on paper because England's golden generation are the prime reason why you shouldn't do that. But yeah, if if, if uh, everything clicks and Gareth Southgate gets it as spot on as he did against the Croats, I don't, I don't see any reason as to why England can't win it. Um, and I'm going to, I know it's cheating again, but I'm going to chuck a little disclaimer that if England don't do it, I think Belgium will. I think Lukaku's just in the form of his life and all yeah, it takes is. is one deadly goal scorer and you can win win the Euros. Um, top scorer then, well, I've already chucked my hat in the ring. I think it's going to be Romelu Lukaku. Um, what about you, Will? Uh, I suppose I'm going to back it with my winners. I'm going to say Churo Immobile, who sort of a player who's People have always known about him, but he's never done anything out of this world, partly because of you know the teams he's played up. But yeah, I think this is going to be his tournament, so I'm going to go Chiro and Mobile. Yeah, Ed? Yeah, I'm going to stick with you, Tom, and go with Romelu Lukaku. Um, I would have said Kane, but after seeing the way England set up against Croatia and, and possibly the sort of reduced amount of influence Kane has, um, and just the way Lukaku was so, so deadly against Russia... Um, yeah, I don't see any other outcome other than Lukaku being top scorer. Yeah, um, dark horses now. Um, I'll kick us off with this this category. Um, I said the Swiss could they? I don't think they will. Um, and I'm going to not cheat on this one. I'm going to say a team that haven't played um, as as we're recording, and and that's Sweden. I think they are very likely to go through in their group. Um, I don't rate Poland and I certainly don't rate Slovakia. So they're going to probably secure second position. And they're not a bad side, as we saw at the World Cup in Russia. And now they've finally added a deadly goal scorer to their ranks in Alexander Isak. I can see them maybe even getting to the semi-finals. I think they're that good. Um, but as as always with Dark Horse's predictions, the, their game with Spain hasn't kicked off yet. They could get trounced 4-0 and I'm 
I'm I'm sat here looking like a knobhead. So yeah. Um Sweden for me, what about you, Will? Um I would probably go with uh it's a difficult one, but I'm gonna go with the Ukraine. And that's partly because if they get second in their group behind the Netherlands, that second place of group C is, if I'm not mistaken, one of the easier runs towards uh towards the final and so yeah. I can see the Ukraine doing you know maybe something a bit special and while the Netherlands weren't great you know showed a bit of character coming from 2-0 down obviously then did lose but still yeah I'll go with the Ukraine yeah Ed yeah I mean Ukraine would probably play Italy if they were to pardon me get second place in their group um, oh, well there you go I've just avoided my own argument <laughs> no, no, but you, you would have said Italy you know, pre-seeing their performance against um, Turkey, you wouldn't have said Italy would be that bad. Um, yeah, true. Obviously, you saw with the benefit of hindsight. Um, personally, um, I'm going to go for the Czech Republic because I think the show's thing in Scotland. Okay, they've had their luck a little bit. They've got a real solid spine of their team in midfield and a mischief up front and defensively they, they were they were fairly sound and they can frustrate teams and take their chances when they need to. Um, I'm not saying they're particularly going to set the tournament alight but I definitely think they'll they'll go through I think they could nick second place um, I think they can beat Croatia but yeah I, I think you know keep an eye out for them yeah um, young player of the tournament gone before we move on to the main player of the tournament one um, who, who do you think is going to get it Ed? Phil Foden um, I know it's very much England bias um, and he wasn't necessarily sensational against Croatia but I think he'll only grow into the tournament. We saw in the seventh minute when he had that shot that hit the post, what he can do and how he can excite fans. Um, the, I think if you saw it, well, you'll have seen it, but the, some of his first touches were just incredible. Yeah. Um, and I know you hate this word, Tom, but I'm going to use it. He really is generational. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's prime Twitter talk. I don't like it. Um it's a phrase that nobody used until like 2000. Well, do you think it'll be big Phil? Uh, No, I think it'll be an England boy though. Going to go with Jude Bellingham and that's probably a surprise, but I think he'll get into the team, show us how good he is. Then, you know, Southgate won't be able to drop him. And if we do, as you guys say, and get to the final, I reckon if he's quality all the way through, given his age, he's definitely going to be a shout for young player of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, my young player of the tournament, not, he's not going to be a player who I think might go right to the last stage of the tournament, but I'm going to go Ferran Torres. Um, mm-hmm. at, at the, I think he's only 21, and he's already Spain's main man, in my opinion. If Spain are going to do anything at the Euros, they're going to need Ferran Torres to turn up, and I think he will. Um, even if Spain only gets to the quarters, that means he's probably had quite a good tournament, and that should do just enough for him to win young player. On Phil Foden, I, I really do think Phil Foden is a great footballer, but I'm not so sure that he's going to have that much of an impact on the England team. If he plays as well as he did against Croatia, I still don't think that'd be enough for him to win anything on a personal level. Because no, I know I agree with that. People would go, he's played well, but he's not had an outstanding tournament. Um, so yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that. And finally, player of the tournament, who do we think it's going to be? Uh, for me. Same as my top goal scorer, Romelu Lukaku. Um, whether you agree or not, these sort of individual accolades are based on 
tangible evidence of performances in the form of like goals and assists. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think he'll be top scorer, real talisman for the Belgians, and uh, yeah, I think he'll get played the tournament. Yeah. Well. Oh, it's a good one. Um, who do I think will get player of the tournament? I will go for. You know, I'll stick with Immobile, going off the same evidence as Ed, and that's because realistically, even though it shouldn't be that, if you score goals in this game, people love you, and you're seen as a top player. So, if yeah. I'm going Immobile as top goal scorer, then I guess we'll get player of the tournament with that. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to go with. Oh, I don't want to be this the football hipster, um, but I'm going to go with a bit of a hipster one here. I think it's going to be Raheem Sterling. I just I can well, see him having like just a ridiculous tournament, like Shearer Euro ninety six esque, where he's come into the tournament playing poorly for Man City. All he needed was that one goal, I think. And if he can get a couple against Scotland, which I back him to do, then the first knockout game get one there. And then all of a sudden, you're starting to see Raheem Sterling turn into England's main source of goals. Um, and I think he's a good enough player to win it. Um, and I don't see anyone else sort of doing anything more. I mean, it, is, it does tend to be the top goal scorer, doesn't it? So if it isn't, you know, Sterling is my outside bet, it probably will be Lukaku. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think is a bit of an outside one, Raheem Sterling. And there you go, is the sort of, that's the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? Because if you'd yeah, have you asked, talk there, yeah, say so yeah. quickly about that benefit of hindsight. I find it really interesting that had we recorded this pre the first game, I want to be I personally, and I imagine you guys would have <laughs> a mentioned Turkey a lot more, yeah, um, yeah. and yeah. also mentioned France a lot more. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, that just shows that sort of the benefit, like the benefit of hindsight, and how fast things can change in tournament football. Things though, even even with hindsight, you do know we're going to say all this. We'll go on. France will win every game five 0 and they will <laughs> score like forty goals and they'll win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, I, like I said, I just on on all of them. Turkey were shocking. France just seemed to hate each other. Uh, and yeah, Raheem Sterling, as much as he was, he wasn't outstanding, but he was really, really good against Croatia. Um, so I back him to have an outstanding tournament. Um, I think that's sort of all the Euros chat done for now. Um, it's not going to be our last podcast talking about the Euros. I mean, depending on schedules, hopefully we'll get a couple more out before we even get to the knockout stages. But yeah, I think it's it's been a very interesting opening weekend of a championships and. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes in the next couple of games. I mean, the France-Germany game is going to be an absolute corker, regardless of what happens. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And I think that will give us even more answers to questions that we probably didn't think would be thrown up. Um, But let's move on to our clubs. Um, Ed, we've got to start with the disarray at S6. Um, Players owed in the region of £12 million in wages. I mean... I'm not going to ask you any more questions on it, but if you want to give us sort of a, a little monologue on, on how you think things are at Hillsborough. Yeah, I, yeah. Obviously, um, a complete utter shambles. Um, the £12 million figure that's been banded around is an interesting one. I'm not sure about the validity of that in terms of whether it quite is that much because of, of what certain journalists have said. Maybe it isn't quite that much. Um, but still, uh, you know, uh, very much a, a big sum of money. 
there are actually positive noises coming around sort of past day in terms of players finally being paid. That's starting to shift and gain momentum. Hopefully, we can have it all sorted out. But I think you know one final thought from me on this um, is the, the the lasting impact of this whole debacle in terms of trying to recruit players. We missed out on some top quality signings already that I think we could have easily done if we were in the right financial position. I'm thinking of sort of Sheen who went to Bolton and, and players like that. Scott Free agents. Yeah, Scott Swine went to MK Dons. You know, no disrespect to those two clubs, but um, I think we could have easily picked those sort of players up and they were the sort of calibre of players we would have been looking at, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed things start resurrecting themselves. Yeah. Well, that's definitely something we're going to have to come back to. Um, as it stands, Ed, do you see the elephants going in the dawn? <laughs> uh, no, I think um, no one has the bottle to actually put the elephants in the dom. Um, <laughs> I don't really see the symbolic uh, element of, of doing such that. Good stuff. Um, well, Barnsley News, we've been linked to pretty much, well, we've been linked to four players and we've signed a player. Um, let's start with that signing first, Devante Cole. Um, a return to Oakwell for him. I mean, this was a signing that really came out of the blue, wasn't it? Yeah, really out of the blue, but don't really have anything bad to say about it because, you know, by all means, he will have improved since he was last with us. You know, he had a pretty decent season for Motherwell. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if we want to reassure ourselves of the solid championship team, then, you know, we need a bit of squad depth. So even if Cole comes and isn't, you know, a, a, a talisman who gets a load of goals... Is someone who can, no offense to Victor Adebayo, can at least you know take his position. Yeah, um, and I think he's you know he's a similar sort of player, uh, more like a Carlton Morris. You know, he's, he's really quick, and so hope you know under Ishmael, we've not seen a bad signing yet. We've had a lot of eh, who or whatever, mm. but you know they've all turned out to be pretty decent players. So yeah, I, I have no uh, no worries about that signing. Yeah, same here. I mean, at the time, I was a bit puzzled, to be honest. I thought this is a really strange signing. But then when you look into some of the underlying numbers, um, the fact that, I mean, just even following his social media, you can see already he's doing he's doing specialist work on his fitness. I yep. think the player who's really committed to, to Barnsley Football Club and, and there's nothing more you can ask for. And yeah, we know already that he's probably got a little bit more magic in his boots than a Victor Adeboyejo does. Um, moving on then to a couple of the rumours. Um, Flynn Downs from Ipswich Town, um, Emiliano Marcondes on a free from Brentford and Stipe Pericha from yep. are the three big ones. Um, certainly in the case of, of Marcondes, that seems to be the furthest down the line. Do you see it coming off for the Reds? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he's going to want to move to a similar-ish sort of club as, as Brentford and I think now Brentford have left the championship. I definitely think we're the we're the next best thing in terms of the way we run our club, etc. So I can see is signing him. I think it'd be a good signing for the club. You know, he's a good player. Um, I think perhaps his performance in the playoffs perhaps is making fans a little bit too excited. Yeah, I don't think he's been amazing, but he's still yeah, no doubts about it a quality player. Some people think he's going to be a 
you know, seems to be saying he's going to be the replacement for Mowat, but yeah, I just okay. couldn't disagree like more because it, it they're so different. He wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. He, he's a completely different type of player. So I don't believe that there's any truth behind that. But at the end of the day, I can't disagree with signing quality players on a free. Yeah. Um, one of the other players in that list, uh, Ed, um, Flynn Downs. What, 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 what do you think about him as, a, as an addition to the Reds' as midfield? I think he'd be a very solid addition. Um, you know, still young and he's been ever present really at times for Ipswich. Um, one of those sort of academy prospects where him, Andre Doswell, a few of them, and they've never really kicked on, I felt. Um, but, you know, I think it'd be a solid signing. Um, as for Mark Condes, I think Will hit the nail on the head when he said about how there's perhaps a slight bit of overhyping. I think it is worth mentioning that he hasn't been amazing for the Bees at all this season. Um, and only started 12 games. I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means. I think it'd be an unbelievable signing and a coup for you. Um, but I do think there might be a slight bit of realism needed. Um, yeah. But no, yeah. I think what the sort of plays you've been linked with is showing is um, is this sort of positivity in terms of your recruitment strategy and how it's not waning or, or differing. Um, and I think that can only be seen as a positive. Yeah, and I'll wade in on our, on the final player on that trident, um, Steve Paricha from Watford. Um, to be honest, even when his name cropped up, I I know I know I knew that Watford had a big striker called Stipe, but uh, <laughs> I, I did I didn't link the name to the player. And then when I saw we bid one and a half million pound for him, to be honest, I thought it was a load of bollocks. And even though it's come from the Athletic, I'm not so sure that Barnsley would spend one point five million pounds on a player of his of his model. Um, and I know we're in the market for a DK replacement, but I've seen, I, I, I've been told that we're in for Victor Jokerez, who were on loan at Coventry last season, and I think that's probably more the sort of player we'd go for. But yeah. it is certainly, if it's true, um, a, a, a signing or an attempted signing that shows we're moving up a class in signing players to where we can now get players from fellow Championship clubs or you know promote Premiership club in what. And I think that Mark Ondes signing as well, if we could get him in, we wouldn't be signing him because no one else wants him. You know, every club in the Championship to, today, when the news was announced that we were in talks with him, have gone, why aren't we trying to sign him? Well, you probably are. It's just we're a really attractive club to come to now. And, and that's a brilliant position to be in as a fan. Um, you know, it's class seeing Barnsley doing so well. Um, yeah, it is. It's Well, that's sort of the benefits that the the uh, benefits that's come of having a good season, not getting promoted, the amount of benefits that come with that is surprising because like you say, we've, like Ed said, we're following the same strategy, but the calibre of players has just gone up a level and it, it really is good to see. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think that rounds it off then for, for episode 27 of the There Is A Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast. Um, like we said, apologies for the lull in, in podcasts, we'll try get as many out as we can, but we can't give you any guarantees as we are really busy at the minute. Uh, if you've listened this far, thank you. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Floodlight Pod. As always, we'd love it if you subscribed and gave the video a like, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers, guys. <laughs>